Now, it's just five days to go uh, for us to go to the stadium. And uh, our reason for this particular program is to win people to the Lord. To do mass evangelism. Because we believe that soul winning is what we should be doing as God's children. And so I want to share this morning on 12 reasons every Christian should win souls. There's a book written by Bishop Dark Wood Mills on 120 reasons why you should be a soul winner. So I'm just doing 10% of that, but you know, 12 reasons every Christian should win souls. And I'll go right into it. Number one is because God commands it. God commands it. When we read in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. These are the last words that Jesus spoke before he was taken up to heaven. He was speaking to his disciples and, of course, to us and giving them an assignment to go into all the world. We should be going left, right, and center. We should be taking this gospel to everybody around the world. It shouldn't be just contained here in our country or in our city. We should be going everywhere. You know, we have been doing congregational outreaches. Many of you have been there, or some of you have been there. You know, last week uh, on Friday, I went to uh, Ivory Park. Uh, we've had these services since uh, Wednesday. And you know, as we drove in in the evening, it was raining. You remember on Friday, it was raining. Hey, huge downpour. And as we drove over there, I could see this area is so vast, so huge. I mean, there's houses everywhere. When we left, we went through uh, the Oliphant's Fontaine off-ramp. We had to go and reconnect that uh, as a non-ramp. And so we drove even further into some other area, and there's new developments, houses everywhere. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Protea Clan and driven that way, going towards Ranfontaine. You know, there's houses everywhere. I mean, there's development everywhere. All over the world, there's more and more and more and more people. But you know, the church is not going as it should. You know, we are not really doing what Jesus told us to do. And how many of you know a commandment is not a suggestion? Jesus gave a commandment. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every one of us here should be preaching the gospel to somebody. I'll show you at the end. We, you know, we all have different ways we can preach the gospel. I'll talk about that at the end. But every one of us. And note, it's a commandment, not a suggestion. It's a commandment. But you know, it's unfortunate that sometimes we seem to be very choosy about things that we do that God has commanded us to do. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? We can never call ourselves true disciples of Christ if we don't obey what our Lord is saying. This is not a suggestion, people. It's a commandment. Every one of us here should be winning somebody to the Lord. Look at your neighbor who's quiet and say, well, it shows that he's talking about you. That's why you are so quiet. That's why you are so quiet. It should be our goal and our target, every one of us, that at least once a month, 
we tell at least one person about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was telling them in the last service, you know, as much as we preach and we make altar calls wherever we go and so on, on my own at a personal level, I have restarted that commitment to tell people about Christ. One on one. Just tell people. Tell them in the highways, the byways, in the taxi, in the train. Tell them. Wherever you go, in, 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 you know, at school, in seminars, on the plane, everywhere you go, tell, 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 tell. Thank God in our country, it's not illegal for us to tell somebody about Christ. You know, in some countries, you are not allowed, you know, uh, to, to, to proselyte people, they call it. You know, you go to some countries, you cannot even have an open-air meeting. Where you preach openly, you, you can only do it in certain types of setups. And you are not allowed in some of the countries that we've been to recently to even tell other people about Christ. You can do it in the church, but you can't do it in certain places. Look at the freedoms we have in this country. To even go to the stadium and advertise publicly. In some places you can't even advertise like we've advertised. And here we are, we're not using that privilege. Look at your neighbor and say, you are quiet again. I have a suspicion. <laughs> He's talking about you. I'm, I'm very suspicious. I wonder how we're going to deal with some of these things, Barcelona, the day we stand before God. Can I hear an amen? amen? You see, now this thing has gone off now. Forgive. Yeah, give me, give me. I left to get to my notes. Okay, they'll give me. No, no, I'll, I'll have to switch it off. Can I get my normal notes and... You know, you try, you try to be current. <laughs> and it lets you down. I mean, look, look, I mean, look how current I am. Just look at me. Okay. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says, he that believeth and be baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And then he says when he continues, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils. In my name... They will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will lay hands on their sick and the sick will recover. And then it says, as you read further, then they went everywhere and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's what we call the anointing, the power of God on our lives. Meaning, you know, we may not experience the power of God in certain setups if we don't go. We may experience it when we worship, when we do whatever, but there is a certain level of experiencing the power of God that we will not in any way be able to experience if we are not going. So tell the people around you, you need to be going. Tell them again, thank you. You need to be going. Tell them again, you need to be going. Because that's what God wants us to do. Number two, we need to tell people about Christ because there is a hell. You know, if we really believe that hell is real, and if we really believe that hell is there, there would be more agency in us. Yeah. If we really believed, if we really believed, if you really believed that there's really hell, you know, if, if, if God was to appear to you, and you're able to verify it's God, and God was to tell you, that friend of yours that you know, in five days' time, they're going to die, and they're going to hell. Would it change your attitude? Certainly. You would, you would do everything in your power to tell them about Christ. But somehow it looks like we really don't believe. And I understand that. That you know, 
I think what we're trying to do these days as we preach is to present to people the goodness of God. And I understand that. We talk a lot about the grace of God, which is true. And we need to do that because I think for a long time, the picture of God that has been presented hasn't been a holistic image of who God is. I agree. I agree that people come to church to be encouraged to do that, and we do all that. However, there is a reality about the life hereafter. There's a truth about the life hereafter. And from Scripture, unless you don't believe the Bible, but from God's Word, the Bible does show us that there is life beyond the grave. Yeah. All of us, we live here on earth, but there comes a day where we're all going to pass on. And when we pass on, or when our friends pass on, or when our families pass on, they will be on the other side of the grave. And according to God's word, on the other side of the grave, there's two distinct places that we go to. Either we go to be comforted with God, call it to heaven, call it paradise, bosom of Abraham, use whatever, but there's another place the Bible tells us has torment. It's got pain, and people who don't know Christ as Savior and Lord go there. And that's why God wants us to tell the whole world about Jesus. Tell the whole world. Now, I know the whole issue about hell is disputed. But you know, interesting enough, there is so much material of, on people who passed on and actually went to hell, or almost got to hell. An interesting story for me that shocked me many years ago when I read this story, it's a true story, of this young, young man who was in university and a confirmed atheist. He said he doesn't believe there's a God, you know. He believes that when you die, it's just the end of you, you know. There's no life hereafter. So he's going to live the way he wants. So he, you know, he lived the first life and totally forgot about God, didn't care about God, never went to church, none of that, and just didn't care. And so it just so happened one day he needed to go and present his assignment on Monday and the whole weekend he had been partying, you know. He'd been doing all kinds of things and so he, he was kind of late in waking up on Monday but he tried his best to do what he was supposed to do, got on his bike, raced to go to the university and he was so tight on time but unfortunately... He met a terrible accident and he died. He's the one who writes the story. He died. He actually died. But at the time, he, he didn't even know he has died. You see, because when you read in Luke 16, which we'll read in a while, you know, when, when we have died, we won't feel any different. Because we are not a physical body, we are a spirit being. When we've died, we'll, we will still be just as alive as a life could be. Maybe even more alive. <laughs> we'll be able to see. We'll be able to remember. We'll be able to talk. You know. So he tells the story. He says he died. But then he got up. He didn't know. You know he, got up, he got up and ran. Ran. He wasn't far from the campus. Ran to the campus. Got into class. Tried to talk to the professor. You know, he was already late, lecture is on, he's trying to apologize, the professor doesn't seem to care. So he tries to get the attention of the professor, and the professor just goes on. He, and he doesn't understand that, you see, what gives us contact with people on this world is the physical body. It's this body that helps us to contact each other. We, we can't see spirits unless God opens our eyes. 
We can't see angels even if they are here. But there is another world far more real than this one. And in this instance, I think God was just gracious to this guy because according to the Bible, when we die, we immediately go to the, the other side. In his case, he's there at school and so I talk to the professor and the professor goes on and he, finally he realizes, sorry, by the way, I had an accident. So he goes back to the scene of the accident and there he is, sees his body there because that's what happens. Most people who have passed on, who died, they'll tell you, I saw my body there because your body is not you. Tell your, your neighbor, your body is not you. <laughs> Even if it looks nice, Mara, it's not you. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So he's, he's, he saw them. There they are. Paramedics there around him, checked him, pronounced him dead, put him on a stretcher, took him over to the hospital to put him in the mortuary. You see? So I don't know what happened. Probably somebody must have been praying for him. But God in heaven sovereignly commands this guy to get back into his body. Comes back into his body. So when they're just about to put him in the refrigerator, thank God, you know. <laughs> opens his eyes. He comes alive and then doctors can see that this guy, even though he's critical, he's alive again. So took him to the ICU in, I think it was a month or two months, I don't remember, finally he's nursed back to health. And, and so when he's all right, he's really worried now. Because, you see, he just experienced something that he, he was denying all along. You see, all, all, all some of you need is just to have that experience, just a little bit. <laughs> just, just a little, yeah, yeah. All the skepticism and all this will just go away. Yeah. So then he, he then, you know, he didn't read the Bible, he didn't, then he started inquiring. And so he explained to some guy who was a Christian, he said, you know, this is the experience I had. This guy said, what? Mona, you were dead. He said, me, dead? No. He said, no, when you saw that was your body lying there, you were dead. And, you know, thankfully there were records, you know, the, the medical records. So the guy then opened Luke chapter 16, which we're going to read now. And this guy was shocked. That what he said was just a figment of somebody's imagination was somewhere in the Bible. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 16. Let's go back. I don't know where we started. I think we started with verse 20 in the New American Standard Bible. I want us to read it together. Oh, verse 19. That's right. Okay. Here there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple. How many of you are sitting next to somebody dressed in purple there? Some rich women and some rich men. Just touch them a little bit. It's, so, it's a blessing to be sitting next to you. Just touch them. Some rich people out there. Oh, shabba yabba. Touch them for me. Just, just hold them. I just want to know how it feels like just to put my hand on a rich person. <laughs> Habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. This guy used to wear designer clothes. Know what it says? Joyously living in splendor every day. I was saying in the first service, you know, you know, much as God really wants us to be, to have things, God doesn't want us to be poor. I don't believe the Bible, God wants us to be poor. God knows, and I don't think God minds if people are rich. In fact, God's not against rich people. He's just against us putting our trust in riches. And the problem with, with wealth is that it has a tendency to make people forget about God. You know, when I, when I go around the world and travel the world, I find that in most nations of the world where people are poor, people tend to turn more towards God. Whether they are Christian or they are an, another religion, all around the world, 
It looks like it's the poor people who believe in a supernatural being called God, whatever name they use, to say he'll help us. You know? But it looks like as people become wealthy, they, they, because you see, wealth has, creates a, a false sense of security. So this guy, he had his things, he lives in, and there's nothing wrong with having things. God's not against them. But the problem is he has forgotten all about God. It was so sad for me to check some of the nations of the world in their history, like Scotland, for instance. If you go back just in the 1800s and early 1900s, how they had produced, I was looking at it, they had produced so many missionaries. There were so many churches, such a revival of, of, of spirituality and people turning to God in their thousands and, and sensing a a burden to take the gospel to other parts of the world, and they went and preached the gospel. Some of them lost their lives in other parts of the world. Of course, there were some other people who went for other agendas. Of course, we know that. But, you know, you go back there now, and, 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 and you realize the nation is, is so cold, generally speaking, towards God. I mean, there's people who go to church. There's pockets here and there where God is moving, but it's just not like it was in the 1900s. And back then, they were a relatively poor nation. You see, and, and what happens is, when we turn to God and God starts hearing our needs and meeting our needs and helping us to come out of our challenges, and once people start getting their stuff, somehow it moves our hearts away from God. And the generation that follows, that did not experience the poverty and the problems, you know, now even their attachment to God and their commitment to God is kind of lukewarm. Why do I need God? I mean, I have my own car. I have my own house. Like one guy who was boasting years ago, he says, you know, money is not a problem. The problem is how to spend it. May God give me that anointing, Jesus. Hey! See, once you get to that level where you don't, I mean, you really don't need God. I mean, you have medical aid when you are sick, you can go to the hospital, you... You don't have to pray for food anymore. You, you actually can waste some and you can be very choosy about what you eat, you see. And, and if we are not careful as a nation, that can happen to us. Particularly in our communities, as I know the majority of us, majority of our people still are in poverty, I know. But there's pockets where people are starting to have their own thing and it's very interesting to see the change of attitude. That has happened over the years. Look at your neighbor and say, he told you you won't be able to say amen, so say amen right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's this guy. Then it says, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at the gate of the rich man, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Besides, even dogs were coming and licking his sores. Note the next verse. It says, verse 22, Now the poor man died. Okay. And he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. See, you see, here's the nice thing. You see, everything we have on earth, when we die, it remains behind. All the position, the pomp, the prestige, the, everything, it remains behind. There's one thing where we're all equal. We're all going to die. Yeah, you can have the best of hospitals and the best of doctors. When time of dying has come, there's nothing they can do to stop it. 
So he dies, not what it says. It says, and the angels, and the angels, and the angels carried him away. Ha! Huh. I thought he went into your coffin. I thought we buried him at Avalon Cemetery with a cheap coffin and gave him a pauper's burial. I thought that's what happened. So who is this him that the angels are carrying? Him is the real person. Him is the spirit of a person. That part of us that doesn't die, it doesn't get destroyed, that part of us that comes from God and it will live forever. That part of us when we die goes to the other side of the grave and continues living. And note, on that other side of the grave, it doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you were this side. What matters on that other side of the grave is the decision that you made when you still lived on this earth. The angels carry him to Abraham's bosom. My goodness. And then it says, and the rich man died also. You were all equal. You just go over to Baragwanath to the mortuary there and open the fridge there. They're all there. Everybody. And when you look at them, you will never tell who's rich, who's poor. They're all people, all dead. Mm, everybody. We're all the same, comrades. We're all the same. All the same. Yeah. Because when it comes to that part, all these things that we shout about don't matter. I'm telling you. In this world of inequality and all kinds of things, that we parade certain things and we were whatever. So the rich man dies also and he was buried. So, so they take him to West Park. Cemetery and buried him in a casket. in hell. What a shock. You, after all our speeches, you know, we, we don't tell people the truth. When we come there, so we, we say, who, he was a who, he was such a, who had such a great, who, who rubber like a court. And the guy on the other side is saying, court so effing. <laughs> you see, if I go to Ghana, I go to Ghana, I go to Ghana, I go to Ghana, court so effing, I go to Ghana, 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 I had forgotten everything about God, but now look at so He lifted up note and in hell he lifted his eyes, being in torment. It's not a nice place, hell. And he saw Abraham. So, 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 so. I thought his eyes were in the casket at West Park. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus. Chinek. In his bosom. Next verse. It says, and he cried out. Cried out. Kisikos. See, on the other side of the grave, there's this n- nothing of being nice there. It's all panic. It's scary. How so? No, you can't cry like that. Nah, 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 nah. He cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. You see, we should be crying out and screaming out for mercy now. Yes. I tell you. Not when we're on the other side of the grave. Have mercy on me. And send Lazarus. He hasn't even changed his thinking. He's sending the poor guy all the time. So it's tragic. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. Listen to the answer. This is a very sad answer. Abraham said, child, remember. Remember? 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 I thought the brain was in the casket at West Park. 
You mean I will remember? You mean I will see? You mean I will recognize people? Of course you will. You'll still be just as alive as you are right now. Except that in either of the two places. It says, remember, during your lifetime, you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus bad things. And now he's been comforted here and you're in agony. Hey. And besides this, between us, there's a grave chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to there will not be able and also the none can ever cross over from here. There's no floor crossing. <laughs> and the problem is once you are in there, you can't come out. Please don't let us fool you when you have your coffin here. We do all kinds of things and pray over it. That, that is too late. It's, it's, it's just too late. Have you ever heard those songs? The things that we do. You know, it's, it's nice to do them, but I wonder if we could hear those people on that side what they are saying. I'm sure about a rohaka to come or aidon. Forgive. Look at your neighbor and say, it looks like Bishop was listening to you singing. (laughs) He says, so that they cannot come from here to there, neither can they cross over. Verse 27. Listen what this guy said. He said, then I beg you. Okay, I understand. You can't send Lazarus. I understand you can't. He can't dip the tip of his finger to cool my tongue. But I beg you. Send Lazarus to my father's house. Hey. For I have five brothers. So, you know, you know it means there's, there's people in this place today who are praying hard that some of us here will go tell somebody who still lives on the earth. I mean, in spite of his pain, his agony, he feels nobody deserves to come to this place. Send him. Go tell my brothers. In order that he must warn them. So that they will also not come to this place. Because no one like He says, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got the preachers there. All over these nations, all around the world, people standing up preaching. Whether in churches or in street corners or one-on-one, there's people preaching. Preaching, preaching, preaching. See, we will remember one day. I tell you, says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Listen to what he says in verse 30. He says, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Maybe Verse 31, he says to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if somebody comes from the dead. Like some of you, when I'm telling you about the story of the young man, it's not persuading you. You see, this thing, believing is a choice that people make. You can, you can, people choose to believe, is it so or it's not. Even if somebody can come and say, I'm from the dead. Some of us say, I'm not so scared. You. <laughs> not you, I too. <laughs> I too. <laughs> and it was said, even for this young man I was talking about at the university, after he became a Christian, he went to his friends to tell them. And they said, yeah, the accident affected you. <laughs> <laughs> you were so affected now. Look at you. But it's a sad thing to find out. It's a sad thing to find out when you're on the other side. But we tell people because there is a hell. Can I hear an amen, Bazarin? Yeah. Number three, we tell people because it generates divine support and 
protection. When we tell people God goes to work and God supports it because God cares for the souls of people. In Luke chapter 15 verse 7, Jesus says, I say unto you that likewise there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. More than over 99 or 99 people who don't need any repentance. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repents. I tell you, there is joy in heaven. God supports it. You know, sometimes I, I sometimes wish maybe God could just give us a little bit of a feeling what happens when we do make an altar call. You know, in the last service, we made an altar call and people came and some people were just sitting there going... No emotion whatsoever. No feeling. You know, if we had given a prize of a million rands to somebody, some of them would stand on the chain. Ah! But you know, there is so much joy in heaven when one person comes to Christ. And may we join that heavenly choir today. And every day when we make an altar call, that when we see people come, like they're going to come this morning, as we see them coming to receive Christ, may we join the heavenly choir and shout to God with the voice of triumph. But my goodness, heaven supports that. Why? Because God knows. God knows how painful it is for people to go to hell. Number four, soul winning gives great joy and energizes Christians. Soul winning gives great joy and energizes Christian. In Luke chapter 10, when you read from verse 1, it says, the Lord appointed the 70. He sent them two by two. Verse 3, he said to them, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he may send forth laborers. Verse 3, go your way, behold, I send you forth, like he's sending us forth. Go, go and preach, go and tell them. Verse 17, this is several verses later. It says, and the 70 returned again with joy. There's a certain level of joy we will never know if we are not soul winners. He says they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. Tell you, as you go and tell people and win them to the Lord, you'll get a chance to pray for them in other areas. And you'll see God using you because God wants to use you. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a bishop. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be an apostle. All you need to do is to be an obedient child of God. And what a joy to be used by God. You know, sometimes it's nothing spectacular. You just gave somebody some advice. Hmm? You just showed compassion on somebody and a month later, two months later, six months later, a year later, their life is so much better. Their life has changed so much. Oh, this is another level of blessings. You know, this is another level of living the Christian life where instead of living to be blessed, we live to be a blessing. Yeah, we live to give to other people and help other people. Let's tell the truth. Everywhere we go, we are surrounded by people with all kinds of needs. And you could tell them about God. You could offer them. Just say, look, can I pray for you? 
You don't have to promise them anything. Just say, can I pray for you? That's all. You don't have to tell them an angel will come and holy oil and all of that, double portion anointing. No, you don't have to. No, no. Just say, can I just pray with you? That's all that people need. I remember several years ago, uh, you know, when I used to go to the saloon, <laughs> there's not much reason to go anymore. <laughs> when I had a little bit of hair, those years, there was this young man, I loved him so much. He used to do, he used to do my hair. You know, and then in the saloon, you talk a lot. You know that, now. Is that they say, you know, and you get to hear a lot of things. So somehow he would somehow confide in me, you know, and tell me, oh, I'm going through this, I'm going through this, I'm going through this. And then I found out, you know, he's a good young man. You know, he was working at least, and for some reason he had gotten a child with some lady out of wedlock, and so, you know, and he's left his home. And that's all dear my car, you know. So I thought, you know what, let me just be, you know, and I said to him, you know what, you, 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 can, you can do something with your life. You know, you can use to fix things and marry this lady so that, you know, that child doesn't grow up without a father. And I said, no, I can, I'll pray with you and I'll try to assist where I can. <clears throat> and this young man started opening up and after a while we started talking and I remember one day I led him to the Lord and started going to church and living the Christian life and then, and then soon he, he collected enough money and love all that the girl. And then soon, then they got themselves a room. And now they're staying there as husband and wife after they got, you know, they did the traditional wedding. At least it was a me. Look at them, look at your neighbor and say, not like you, at least one of us are me. When I say a tata sala. At least it was a me. Moses. <laughs> you know, and I was so pleased, you know. Because I wasn't talking to him as a pastor, I was talking to him as his client. He's a young man, you know, and then he started talking about, very intelligent young man, and I said, listen, you can enroll, you can do studies, you can improve your education, you can do this. How you think I can? Yeah, you can. Then soon he started enrolling, and you know, and every time I'm with him, he's gone, you, hey, I tell you what's going there's, not amount, there's no amount of money that anybody can give me that would give me the joy of seeing somebody go to another level. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I always tell my wife, I think one of the greatest gifts and privileges of being a pastor is to see how God changes people's lives. So many people we know, you know, some of them were here since they were very young. They went through so many things and now here they are, you know, they're finished at university, CEOs of companies, they're married, they have families. I see them carrying their kids with their wives. But it's a sakatuku. Hey! Let's sakatuku. Yeah, tell your neighbor sakatuku king. And you know. And it's so good, you know. I remember I tease, I tease one of them here. I keep money. I keep money, Rukai. Murtisiya. After Fesan Yala Nanchaka Zingzong. Every time I talk to Wally Nantare, my wife, my wife, Kirei, when I try to, man. My wife, eh? I mean, my wife But you know, it's a nice thing to see that. God can use you like that. Oh, you see, your amens are half-hearted. Wake up your neighbor, they just hit them and say, God can use you like that. <laughs> Forgive, brother. <laughs> ah, that was powerful. <laughs> yeah. God can use you like that. Number what? Number what? 
Number what? Number five. We need to be soul winners because soul winning prevents church splits. You know, many times when church splits, it's because the Christians in that church are no longer busy with the work of God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You know the saying that the devil has worked for idle hands? I'm telling you, it's true. And one of the things that happens in church, as I said when I started, is we move away from what we were commanded to do. You see, and Christians, we just come to church just to have fun and we don't do what Jesus told us. If everybody here is busy, can you imagine, Basalan? You know, my bishop was saying that to me, is it this week or last week? And said, you know, can you imagine if, if, if every one of us here was just to bring one person? Oh, tell it, amen in there. It's cautious amens because you don't want to commit yourself, you see? See, if every one of us was just to bring one person, one, one, not many, one, Costadium. One, one, just do that. And if it was to be our habit to win people to the Lord, we would be so busy winning people, helping them grow, ministering to people, than to be involved in church politics. Yes. Very often when you see churches split, become cold, and all of that is because the Christians have gotten tired of doing the work of the ministry. Other things now are the top agenda. People argue about doctrine. When you baptize, do you baptize them three times? Do you marinate them? Do you drown them? Do you sprinkle them? You know, is it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Is it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Boom, boom. You know, is it in the name of the Father and the Son? So we argue about that. Whilst we're arguing about that, people are dying and going to hell. See, because when people are dead in hell, they couldn't care how many times you baptize them. It wouldn't matter at all. Yeah. And if everybody, can you imagine, Masana, if everybody here, well, you were to give yourself a target. Okay, let's not say every Sunday, just once a month. One person. You, some of you, the well in Chibilenka, thank you. You are not going to do this. But you see, it's because we are not talking much about that in church today. We are not challenging people about that in church today. And so, the church today is really not like the church in the New Testament as it should be. Well, there are similarities, but there are certain things that were emphasized in the early church that were not emphasizing. Number six, winning souls glorifies God. Glorifies God. John 15, 8, it says, Herein is my Father glorified that you should bear much fruit. So that you shall be, so shall you be my disciples. God wants us to be fruitful Christians. You know, when you read the scripture, it says, we should not be barren in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know Christ. And a sign of growth and maturity, even in the natural we, we, we can't expect a child who's immature to be able to bear children. It's as we grow and mature. A sign that we are growing now and maturing is the ability to bear children. Spiritually, is the same. You see? When you start bearing children, spiritual children, that is, it shows that you are matured. But some of us, you know, even if we've been here for a long time, not even one child. 
Ask your neighbor, how many people have you went to the Lord? Just ask them a little bit. No, tell them to smile when they're telling you. Just how many, how many, how many? Some of us, not even one person. Not, not even one, one, not even one person. We'll show you how to do it, but it's not difficult. It's doable, as long as you will do it. And make a commitment to it. Thank you for those amens. I need them. It's, I need them. It's, the people are so quiet here. I just need them. Even if, even if they're not sure, they're half-hearted, but at least I need them. Number seven. Because the true greatness of a church is not how many people it sits, but how many people it sends. I'm telling you, Vazalan. In my study of church growth, I've noticed that the effectiveness of a church is in how many people it sends out to do the work of God. That is why even in the ministry of Christ, he emphasized a lot and spent a lot of time with the 12. And it was the 12 or the 11, of course, the others followed later, who really changed the world. It was them. It was or maybe the 120 that he spoke to. The multitudes that came. Now, there's nothing wrong in us having many people. We thank God that we are a large church. Thank God. But my wish is, may we have more laborers. Okay, I'll try these ones. I said, may we have more laborers. May you be that laborer. Yes. Yeah. May we have more and more and more and more people who will preach the gospel. Tell people about Christ. Because the greatness of a church is not the thousands who come and warm the pews. The greatness of the church is in the how many people step up to reach out to others or step up to become leaders. That's the greatness of a church. I'm telling you. And there's many churches that may not be that huge that have produced amazing, amazing results and we want to do the same. Number nine, because it prevents us. Number eight. Okay. Thank you. Hey, at least you are listening. The eighth reason why every Christian should win souls is that it, 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 it perpetuates truth for the next generation. You know, this thing for me, it is such a challenging thing to watch. To note that for us to lose effectiveness on anything, it just take, takes just one generation not picking up on what the previous generation has done. Just one. In one generation, everything can be. And when you study church history, you find that the one generation that God used and they were blessed of God and they were serving God, they didn't know how to pass on their teaching to the next generation. And the next generation that came didn't know about God. You read in the Bible. It talks about, and there came a generation that knew not God. We're just one generation away. One generation away. That's about 30 years average. Just in 30 years' time, things can be so different. Yeah. I mean, as a nation right now, I think many people, we are kind of bemoaning the challenges that we are facing. Because we are saying, where we started just 20-something years ago is not where we are right now. Things that are happening do not match the spirit in which we started in 1994. Yeah. 
One generation, just, it's not, it's not too long ago. Just 20 how many years? 20 how many years? 22 years? 24 years? Huh? It's not too long ago. Just 22 years, 20, just not long ago, Wazaran. Not long ago. When you look at some of the things that are an issue now, some things we are dealing with, some things that we have to listen to and hear and that have been defended and whatever, you kind of wonder, would we even think about this just 22 years ago? Could we ever accommodate this in the conscience of our leaders? Could such a thing be defended? It just takes one generation, I'm telling you. One. One generation that doesn't know how to carry the legacy to the next generation. Yeah. And, and this is what is happening in the world. When we are sleeping and we are not doing what we should be doing as Christian people, there's other things that are also taking room and, and, and making strides. Because when we are not doing our work, it doesn't mean everybody is not doing their work. Uh -uh. There are other influences that are coming in and Christian people are sleeping. I mean, think about it, Barcelona. Think about it. In our country now, even uh, city development, they don't allocate sites for churches anymore. I mean, Barcelona, I see this in my own lifetime. I mean, Kaiser, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I mean, you, when you go to all these places, I'm telling you about that, there's development. They don't allocate places for churches anymore. Yeah. There's a time when it was done. <laughs> It's just one, 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 one generation, one, 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 yeah. So if we're not waking up, and if we're not doing what we should be doing, we will regret. And afterwards, we regret, say, ah, but the truth is, we didn't do our part. Look at it, and say, don't look so serious now, how about you? <laughs> we need to perpetuate this truth for the next generation. Number nine. We need to be soul winners because it prevents us from polishing the same coin over and over again. The woman who had the silver coins, she kept polishing them, polishing them until she lost one. And then she went looking for that one coin. And in Luke 18, verse 8, it says, this woman having 10 pieces, he lost one piece. He lights a candle, sweeps the house. He seeks diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, that coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which had been lost. It says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. But instead of polishing your Christian here, you know, and this is what we do Christian people, you know, I bless you, you bless me, you pray for me, I pray for you. I prophet lie, you prophet lie. You know, I bring my anointing, you bring your double portion, and it's all honey, it's all nice. And there's people out there who haven't even experienced half of what we have experienced. Get into that realm of joy on meeting somebody who's still new. Yes. A new coin. Somebody new who doesn't know Christ. What a great joy. To meet them. What a great joy to talk to them. I can't wait for Friday. This Friday. I can't wait for Saturday. I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait to make that altar call. And see thousands of people coming. I 
wait. I can't wait. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait. It's been such a blessing in the congregational meetings as we've been making altar calls in, in different places. And you see people come and come and come and, and some of them God heals and God touches. And, and when they come up to come and tell what God has done, you can tell that they are, church, they are not church people. They don't know church language. Oh, I love those people who don't know church language. You can tell even the way they explain what God has done is genuine. It's not spiced up with some religious talk. Uh, are we preaching or what here in this house? Yeah, but we keep polishing the same coin. You see, so, you know, we keep, you bless me, I bless you. Yeah, double portion, triple portion, four pull portion, five pull portion, six pull portion. I don't know what you call them, but, you know, you bless me, I bless you. And that's what church people do. So, you know, but we just never get the joy of seeing somebody who hasn't been touched. How about even Nicks? When they meet you, they don't know if you're a pastor, a pastor. They don't know. They don't know what you are. They don't, they, don't know. they don't know religious. They don't know. Even the way they quote the Bible, you can tell that they've never read it. Like the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. You know, and I say, wow, what a verse. What a verse. It's, it's, it's an exciting thing. Number 11. Oh, oh brother. Tenth reason, because it's a timeless principle. We will win the lost, Barcelona, and do it until Jesus comes. It's a principle that we've got to do again and again. Number 11, 11th reason, because we must face Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. This one is a scary one. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Yeah. So we'll all appear, God, Jesus is going to ask, I give you a commandment. Hopefully he, he, he is the, he's the captain. <laughs> and when, 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 when he gives a command, he expects us to carry it out. So he's going to say, Musa, I gave you a command to go. Did you go? I Tell your neighbor, I Yeah, I know someone says, oh, Lord, you no, there's no shugut. There's no shugut. We are shugut, shugut. No, no, no shugut. Tell your neighbor no shugut. And actually, why are you shugut? Trying to ring up, ring up a cheese cup. You know, I don't know. Shugut, shugut. There's no shugut. We must all appear. Will we appear with confidence? Huh? I mean, when we stand before Him. And the next one is even, even more tougher. Number twelve, because our hands will be stained with the blood of the lost. We don't tell. Ezekiel 3.18, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you don't give him a warning, and you don't speak to him to save his life, and the same man die of his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hands. And very quickly now in the next five minutes as we close, there's different ways of winning the lost, and all of us, we can use one of these approaches. I'll give you the verses. Allow me not to read them, please, all right, for the sake of time. But just for you to be able to apply this. The, the, the goal of this is not for you to live here with condemnation. Certainly, we must feel bad that we're not doing what we should be doing. That's fine. But then, if I want to correct what I've been doing, what must I do? There's several ways we can preach, all right? And all these approaches, Bazalana, are fine. They're scriptural. I'll give you verses. And every one of us, you can start with any of them and do something. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I'm going to do something. 
Tell them, I can see you are not going to do anything, Mara. I'm going to do something about it. All right. Are you ready? We'll go through them quickly now in just five minutes. Number one, the first way of winning souls is through direct preaching. In Acts chapter 2, 14, that's the way. Like what I'm doing now, what we're going to do at the stadium, you can preach everybody direct preaching. In direct preaching, you need to be confident, you need to be assertive, you need to be direct. All right? So direct preaching is one of the ways that God uses to win people to the Lord. So you can preach. Everybody here can preach. Amen. Amen. Number two is the intellectual style. Intellectual style. In Acts 17, 2 and 11, Paul sat with people and they searched the scriptures together. And I love this one because this is where, you know, you discuss things and argue things out with people. And you've got to support your argument. And you can't do this if you don't know the Bible. Please show the, show the teaching on the screen. People can see. Yeah, there we go. It's the intellectual style. All right. So in this style, you need to be inquisitive, analytical, and logical. This is where studying the Bible, being a student of the Bible, thank you, is, is, is such a great thing. All right. You know, and you need to read not only the Bible, read books on science and all kinds, and read broadly. It's great to be able to argue with people's stuff. It's very nice. You know, you can't just say, no, you can't say that God will judge you. No, you can't. You just have to argue stuff. I mean, there's movies that are being showed even on television, some of them that are going to be launched soon, where they are proclaiming all kinds of interesting things, that Jesus wasn't really who he is, or the Bible is not real, it's not correct, and whatever. We should be able to stand our ground and argue those things out. Amen. Number three is the testimonial style. I love this one. Well, all you do is to tell people what God did for you. I mean, how difficult is that? Huh? How difficult is that? The testimonial style. The testimonial style, you find it in John chapter 9. You can see it on the screen there. Verse 1 and the following, verse 10 rather, and the following verses. In this instance, you need clear communication. You need to be a clear communicator, a storyteller, and you just need somebody to be a good listener. And you also need to be a good listener. You just tell people your story. I mean, how difficult is that? That's what the woman of the world did. Just go tell people. Just tell people. How difficult is that? It's not difficult. It's not difficult. Many of us, we, we have influenced other people to buy certain things. That were special remedies. I don't have the right, I don't know in English what you call it, but English. Love it. <laughs> yeah, many of us, we, we promote these remedies, you know, this machona, machona joke. Yeah. You say, oh, chomiaka winka, what's about this? Igutika hai hai, li ramatiki, you know, it's got a whole list of things if you take this thing. You know, everybody is moringaring everything. Moringa, moringa, moringa. Yeah, you see now, you see. Moringa, moringa, moringa. Hey, moringa, moringa. It's good. Good for, good, for, good for your digestion, good for your weight, good for your, for your intelligence. Moringa. Hey, moringa. And you've told somebody your story. Moringa. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. I mean, how difficult it is to tell people what God's done in your life. You don't need to know the verses. You don't need to know the Bible. And nobody can dispute what God has done in your life. 
Uh, somebody say hallelujah in this house. Nobody can dispute. I can tell my story. 5th of August, 1978, when I received Christ as a 17-year-old boy, I went into the service and I heard preaching. And as I listened to the preaching of God's word, they made a call for those who need to receive Christ to raise their hands as an indication. They want to be prayed for. I raised my hand. And I remember they led me in prayer. And as I prayed that prayer, something changed in my life. You may not believe it. You may tell me it's not true. But I can tell you several years later, I'm standing here today because of what happened on that day. It wasn't a religion I followed. It wasn't some person that I followed. It wasn't something that I followed. It was an experience I had with God. You can argue with that all day long if you want to. But I can tell you I was blind, now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. Can I hear an amen in the house? You have your story too. You know how frustrated you were? What's about no What's about Why it's? You know how much you used to take drugs. You know how much you used to fall down because of alcohol. You didn't know who your name is. You didn't know where you come from. You know the depression you had. You know the hate you had. You know the dislike you had. You know how you were. And here it is today. Look at you. Look what God has done in your life. You can tell somebody. You can tell somebody. Everybody here. We can tell our story. Hallelujah. Number four, the interpersonal style. In Luke 5, very interesting story. Where you tell others, you invite them to your house. And you, you need a warm personality. You need to be conversational, friendship oriented. And then there's an invitational style number five. I use John chapter four. Invitational style, this is where you say to people, come and see. Kako stadium. Friday, Simple. All you have to say is Some of you, that's how you try out here. The invitation of is in John 4, 28, 29. You need to be hospitable. <laughs> Relational. But the invitation of you need to also be persuasive. You, you can't just invite somebody once. You can't just try once. You must do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And in conclusion, the saving style in Acts chapter 9. Read about this woman who used to serve people. Yesterday, we, we, it was such an interesting thing. We were at the funeral of Muruti Sipe, one of the, I think, one of the giants in, in the work of God in our country. Great man. Wow. And uh, one of his friends spoke at the funeral. Muruti. Murti Mufukeng tells the story when he met the late Murti Sipe years ago when they were still young. He was in Lesotho, Murti Mufukeng, running a church there. And Murti Sipe came, coming from Gauteng to go there, and he says, when we first met, you know, Murti Mufukeng says, I really didn't 
like this guy. I liked him, but I was skeptical about him because I thought he's coming to undermine me. You know, because I came from a church called Five Mission. Five Mission. He came from Apostolic Faith Mission. And, and he says people from his background used to mock us and scoff us. So when I first met him, I loved him until he told me he is from Apostolic Faith Mission. So I thought, I, I know these people, you know. He was just telling a story. So he said, even if this guy, Murti Sipe, would come to me now and then, I didn't want to have anything to do with him. He says, but one thing changed my mind. And, and he says, Murti Sipe told me later that he had discovered that I didn't want to have anything to do with him. So he decided to do something to get me to like him. Murtisipe at the time used to uh, uh, have a dry cleaning business. So what he did to Murtimufuken, who was an evangelist, he said to him, uh, I can do your dry clean for you. So he says, I gave him my clothes because I knew I could only give him so much. I didn't have much money. But he, but he said, no, no, bring all your clothes. I'll do it for you for free. He said, when this guy started doing dry cleaning for me for free, I changed my mind. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing to hear him talk about his friend in such a fond way. They started churches together in Lesotho, in Mafikeng, in uh, some of the other places, Kofentersberg. They worked together. But how Murutisipe won this man over was to serve him. Yeah. Some of you, you you've got neighbors. Neighbors, they're going through so many things. All you need is just to go serve them. You don't need to tell them about Jesus yet. Just to serve them. Pray for them, help them with their children. Can I help your child? I always pass. I see your child looking for a lift. I pass that way. Can I give your child your lift? That's all, that's all. You do that because you see, a lot of that is so rare in the world today. People just mind themselves. People just never stop to help somebody. When you do that, finally people start wondering, Mara, what you want to You know? We, 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 we had a neighbor. The, the, our, neighbor the, our neighbor is not there anymore right now. They moved somewhere else, somewhere. I've, I've lived in two different places, so you won't know which place I'm talking about because I'm just giving the principle. But this neighbor wasn't a nice neighbor. Not nice at all. And uh, our house, we didn't have a gate at the time. And, and we had this dog, a burbul that I don't know how this dog knew that our neighbor didn't like us. <laughs> but our dog, anytime we, oh no, our gate was manual. Anytime we opened the gate to drive out, it would just dash over to this house, our neighbor's house. It's a number. You're not ill. And it just so happened our neighbor would be there. And our neighbor would free they would they would shout and scream. And I'm calling my dog. My dog was called Simba. Simba. So at least my dog, after a while, he stopped doing number. He just did the liquids. I don't know what number is that. Get number one. Get number one. Number one, so okay, he just did the liquids, but he was still going to the house. And our neighbor was very, and then I thought, you know, how am I gonna? Because that neighbor, besides the dog, they were not very friendly, you know. So I'd greet them, and they just act like they don't hear me. And I kept on greeting them, greeting them, greeting them, greeting them, and then finally they went through a crisis. 
And I thought, okay, God, here we go. <laughs> and without being invited, I just assisted, whatever, help out with the crisis. And then the following day, without seeing my neighbor, and my neighbor said, hey, Maki! Unfortunately, that neighbor left before I could go into other things because I was very intent. They were going through a very hard time. I was going to tell them about Christ. You know what? We can all do that. You don't need to be a theologian, a theologian to do that. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. You just need to be you. So you have such a beautiful smile, but you don't even use it that much. Look at your non-smiling neighbor and say, Bona, you're not even using your smile. Tell your neighbor your face won't crack when you smile. Come on, it won't crack. But on a serious note, there's people here today with what you've heard. Maybe you've come for the first time or it's not your first time, you've visited. But as you've been listening, you realize, you know what? There's a reality of life after death. And if I was to tell the truth, if I was to pass on now, I'm not sure where I would go. But I want to settle that matter once and for all and invite Christ to be in my life and in my heart. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads, please, everybody? Nobody moving, please, and nobody leaving. Please bow your heads. I'm not trying to scare you. But if scaring you would save you from eternal damnation, then I would do it. But you know in your heart of hearts, and we're not here to judge anybody, but to give you an opportunity to be true to yourself. You know, though you go to church, though you love church and you love all that happens, you came here today, probably you enjoyed everything, everything was good. But if we were to tell the truth, you know in your heart of hearts that you are not born again, you are not saved. You are not sure about your eternal destiny. It's a question you have about your life hereafter. But you want to settle that question once and for all by inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life. Like I did in 1978 as a young man who went to church since I was six years old. But even at the age of 11, I was still so uncertain. And that day, all I did was to just invite Christ to come into my heart. Pray a prayer with all sincerity and honesty. And God changed my life that day. And God can do the same for you. So I want to pray for you. If you are here and you say, yes, I need prayer. I want to invite Christ into my life. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand, please, if that is you? Thank you. Thank you, young lady. Thank you for that bold hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Raise them all over this place. Even people who are in the overflow room and people in the foyer, I see some more hands in the foyer. They raise it up. Even if you've been going to church, you know, sometimes we go to church because that's what we've done at home. You've been coming to church since you were young. But if truth was to be told, you don't ever remember making a conscious decision to invite Christ. Though you may live a good moral life, things may be good. People may even think that you are a child of God, but somehow you know in your heart of heart something's missing here. I'm not sure. Please don't leave that question unanswered. Please don't walk around in life with that uncertainty. It's too risky to do that. Keep your hands raised, please. Thank you. Thank you. May I ask all of you who raised your hands, 
Would you please just stand on your feet right where you are, please? There's many of you. Just go ahead and stand on your seats. Stand, 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 stand right where you are, brother. Stand right where you are. Go ahead, my brother. Stand all over the place. If you raise your hand, stand, stand. Thank you. Even at the back there, I see you. Do you have people in the overflow hall? Do you have people there? Anybody knows? Okay, if you're in the overflow hall, I don't know if we have people, but if you're in the overflow hall as well, you stand there. Hallelujah. I tell you, the heavenly choir is about to make the greatest noise and the biggest noise in heaven. Because the Bible says if one person turns to God, we have more than one person today. We want to pray for you. We don't want to embarrass you. I know this is not the easiest of things to do, but you know what? A little embarrassment, I could take it if it would save me from eternal damnation. If just taking a step that is a little bit uncomfortable could change my life, that I don't end up where the rich man ended up, but I can end up where Lazarus ended up, then I'm willing to do it. And so I want to ask all of you who are standing, I want to pray with you right now. Would you please just take a step from where you are and just make your way to the front to stand in the front here. And as you come, please take all your belongings, all right? Don't leave any of your belongings. Just come. Let's pray for you. That's right. That's the way. That's the way. Come on, join the heavenly choir and give them big kind of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Joy in the midst of the angels. Rejoicing in the midst of the angels. Because today God changes your life. Keep on walking to the front. Keep on walking to the front. We'll wait for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is that, is that the best that you can do? I think the heavenly choir is doing better than you. Jesus. Do you mind just standing on your feet and giving these people a big, 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 big hand, somebody? Come on now. It makes the difference between being lost and being saved. Makes a difference in eternity. Hallelujah. Keep on coming. Keep on coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. See the children come as well. This is good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There may still be one more person out there. Maybe somebody who's sitting next to you. Just tell them, you know what? I'll go to the front with you. See, here the young people come. I love it when I see young people. Yeah. Well done, my girl. Well done. Well done. Come on. Come on. If you're still out there, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. If you are sitting next to somebody, tell them, I'll go to the front with you. I'll, I'll take you by the hand and I'll go with you. Come on now. For a few minutes. If you're still out there, come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Of all the things that happen in church, for me, this is the greatest of them all. I tell you, that somebody can find hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus can change their lives. This is not about attending a church or following me. No. It's about your life, about your eternity. That the day you leave this world, you'll not be like the rich man 
and be in torment and in agony. I know people mock this and they scoff and they say it's just a story. I've seen too many people die to believe the lie of people. I've seen too many people scream in agony, fear in their eyes. Because at that point, they were able to see on the other side of the world. Some of them wish somebody could have told them. Some of them just never had the privilege. But I want to say to every one of you, you had the choice not to raise your hand. You had a choice not to walk to the front. But you did walk to the front. And God sees that. God sees that. Yeah. And God is aware of it. When we turn to God, He'll never disappoint us. When we turn to God, He will never turn us back. No matter what is it that we've done, how many wrongs we've committed, even when people say there's no hope for us, even when people label us and call us names, God is a God who gives us a new start and a new life. And He'll do it for you because that's the kind of God He is. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's not complicated. But pray it with all your heart. Put every ounce of meaning in that prayer. And it's a prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life. The congregation will join us as we pray because many of them have done the same. In this place, there's all kinds of people. People here who used to be murderers. People here who are convicts. People here who did all kinds of strange things. They were lost without hope. Didn't know where to go, what to do. But God in his mercy has transformed and changed their lives. That's why we are so happy for you. That's why we are so grateful to God for you. And we want you to know, we know where you stand because we stood there. I stood there myself as a young man, 17 years old. I didn't understand everything that the preacher was talking about. It could be that you don't understand everything yet. But I knew in my heart of hearts, I wanted my life to be different. That's all that matters. God hears that and God understands. And after we've prayed with you, we want to talk to you in the counseling room just for a few minutes, all right? Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes and follow me in the prayer as the congregation joins us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to forgive me of all my sins and make me a child of God. I believe Jesus that you died for me on the cross and that your death on the cross has offered forgiveness to me. I receive you now and the blood of Jesus that cleanses my sins away. Come into my heart. Make me a child of God. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for giving me a new start and for making me a child of God from this moment in Jesus name amen amen and amen all right